Section number five of Miller of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Meller of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages by David Byrne. Gisley, the Icelander. Gisli was fifteen years old, and tomorrow he had to die. He was sturdy and strong and full of life and health as any Norse boy in the land. Nevertheless, by this time tomorrow he would be a corpse. And his death would be a violent and ingormenious one. That was the hardest part of the terribly hard fact. Young as he was, he would have a strong halter knotted about his sunburnt neck, and in the sight of his own countrymen he would swing from the gallows of King Magnus. The condemned lad had no more tears to weep. In the darkness and the silence of his cell he could do nothing but pray. It was true that he had committed a great crime, and for that he was truly sorry, yet it seemed to him that at least some soul on earth might pity him and allow that the sin, great as it was, had not been committed without great provocation. But then not every son knew what it was to witness the murder of his own father. And the thought would come, in spite of his prayers, not every boy would have the courage enough to avenge his father's death. Yes, it was a wicked crime that Gisley had committed, and he had confessed it with true sorrow. His father was dead, his father's murderer was dead, and now he, Gisley, the killer of his father's murderer, had to die on the gibbet. More than once in his young and happy life he had been face to face with death. On the high seas in storm and tempest he had waited fearlessly for an end that seemed certain and immediate. But the sons of hardy Norsemen were born to brave the perils of the deep. Many seemed born to perish in the waters that, until the day of judgment, will never give up their dead. An honorable and happy ending that, though to the Norse boy, life is always fair and sweet. Until today, Gisli had not fully realized how desirable life could be, and how dear its possessor. Until the Gives had been fast riveted upon his sturdy ankles, and the manacles of steel securely locked upon his brown wrists, he had not experienced this complete sense of hopelessness, this knowledge of utter uselessness of any attempt to escape his fate, the absolute blankness of soul and feeling that now oppressed him. Heavy as was the weight of iron upon his limbs, he scarcely felt it. Soul and body alike seemed numbed and only the absolute numbness of death could be greater. Ah, why had not he and his poor murdered father remained in their Iceland home? Why had they settled in this land of Norway, and under a king so tyrannical as Magnus? Yet they had only done what so many countrymen of theirs in the twelfth century were wont to do. Alas for the day when they met the murderous servant of the king. Here within the precincts of the royal residence 
were many of Gish countrymen. Too powerless, however, and too few to help the unfortunate lad for whom the gallows were already prepared. Doubtless his one friend, Teet, the son of Islaf, had done what he could. But what power on earth could change the will of Magnus? It was the king's servant the boy had slain. It was the king himself who had condemned Gisli to the gibbet. It seemed to the weary boy that he had slept long and heavily, and that he had been awakened by the sound of his shackles striking the stone floor as he turned him in his sleep. But no, there was a noise of voices outside his cell. Perhaps it was already morning, and the officers had come to lead him to the gallows. It must be, he thought, that through sheer heaviness and grief he had spent the half of yesterday and the whole of the night in sleep. Now, at any rate, he was fully awake. The voices were nearer and were raised in anger. There was an iron striking upon iron, and the blows were falling upon the bolted door of his cell. Was it possible that his friends, his own countrymen, had banded themselves together and were coming to rescue him? Surely that was the voice of Tiet, the son of Islaf. Suddenly and with great crash the cell door was flung open and Tiet and his Icelandic followers rushed in triumphantly. Courage, Gisli, shouted the young man. You shall not die on the gibbet. Now, lads, where are your hammers? Off with his irons, quick! Seizing a hammer, Tiet himself smashed the iron rings that encircled the boy's ankles, while another broke the handcuffs that combined his wrists. Gisli was free, and with a great shout the party fled from the prison. Almost immediately they found themselves surrounded by the king's guard. We will shed the very last drop of our blood in defense of this child of our country shouted tiet drawing his sword and bidding his followers to do the same dazed and bewildered as he was the newly released boy saw at once that the combat would be an unequal one brave and intrepid as his countrymen were they were comparatively few in number whereas the king's guard was strong and well armed and its numbers could so easily be augmented. Yet it was a wonderful moment for Gisli. Hope had come back to him with a rush. Already he was freed from his cell and from the irons that had confined his limbs. No longer was he alone, one poor solitary boy prisoner condemned to a hateful death. But weapons were flourishing in the air and men were advancing one upon another. Of a truth, the struggle would be brief and a bloody one. Brave as Tiet was, he would soon be overpowered by numbers. Courageous as were his followers, it was certain that they would soon be cut to pieces. Standing there and fully realizing the sweetness of life and freedom, Gisli came to the sudden and truly heroic resolution that his escape would only be bought at a terrible price. He could not, he would not suffer the shedding of his countrymen's blood. After all, he thought, the life of a boy was a small matter, enough compared with the lives of these brave Icelanders. 
Not one of you shall die for me, he shouted in his high boyish treble. Nay, my friends, I thank you from the bottom of my heart, and I love you for your goodness, but not one drop of blood shall be spilled for my sake. Resting himself from the kind arms that would have restrained him, the lad sprang forward and approached the king's men. I surrender, said the boy simply. Take me back to prison. Better that I should be hanged upon the gallows than these should die by sword. Strong hands were instantly laid upon him, and through the ranks of his weeping friends he was hurried back to a stronger and safer prison. On a great plain where the council of the thing, as it was called, was wont be held, stood the gallows upon which criminals were hanged. Great was the crowd assembled to witness the hanging of the boy Gisley, for not only had the king commanded the presence of his entire household together with many soldiers, but he had bidden every Icelander in the neighborhood to attend the execution. The morning was sunny and clear, but cold, and the poor boy was led out of his prison to look upon the beautiful earth for the last time. He shivered. Slowly, with his hands bound behind his back with thongs, Gisley walked in the midst of a strong guard to the place of doom. Once he raised his sea-blue eyes and saw the great crowd of onlookers, the king sitting in a high and prominent place, surrounded by soldiers. Again he lifted his head, and straight in front of him was that awful gibbet, the long-nosed rope swaying to and fro in the fresh morning breeze. Few indeed there were in that big crowd that did not pity and compassionate the young criminal. In the breasts of his own countrymen, deep sorrow struggled with rage and indignation. The lad was to be done to death before their very eyes, and they were powerless to deliver him. But among the many whose hearts were wrung with pity, there stood an Icelander, whose name was one day to be widely known, and whose fame was to extend far beyond the northern island, of which he was destined to be bishop. The saintly John of Hor had arrived only the night before, just in time to hear the sad story of Gisli and the account of his attempted rescue. Already with his friend the king, this holy priest had pleaded long and earnestly for the life of the condemned lad. Made more angry and obdurate by the action of Tiet, Magnus would not listen. Gisli, he said, must die on the gibbet. In vain did the priest urge the criminal's tender years, the terrible provocation he had received on account of the murder of his own father, the heroism he had shown when he had been given an excellent chance of escaping the justice of the law. That brat shall be gibbeted, was all the king would say. Overwhelmed with sorrow, the man was one day to be known as St. John of Holar, and joined the crowd at the place of execution. Whatever spiritual comfort he could give to the poor child, that, of course, he was only too anxious to offer. Making his way to the culprit's side, John noticed that the boy was but lightly clad in a leather tunic, 
and that saving for the irons that had left upon them his legs and feet were bare you shall have this cloak my poor child said the compassionate priest as he removed his own mantle and hood then as he was about to wrap them around the trembling lad john of holar suddenly remembered that this garment had been given to him by no less a person than king magnus himself turning away from gisli for the moment john approached the king who was seated close to the gallows sir began the priest this cloak was your majesty's gift to me last winter have i your permission to do what i will with it the king gave an angry gesture of assent and immediately turning to the boy father john began tenderly to wrap the garment about him speaking in his ear words of comfort and consolation and encouragement be brave in death dear child as you have been brave in life the pain will be sharp but very short think now only of jesus crucified though you have sinned be true penitence my son you have been forgiven remember him who through very innocence was hung upon the gibbet of the cross lovingly as a mother wraps her child before placing it in its cot to sleep did the holy man fold the long cloak about the boy's body hiding the bound hands and fettered feet and carefully disposing the hood about the neck and shoulders impatiently enough stood the hangman waiting to fix the noose of the rope upon the criminal's neck the priest embraced him and gave him the image of the crucifix to kiss courage my child said john as the boy began with difficulty to mount the ladder of death call upon jesus with great confidence and love whispered words of absolution were the last sounds that fell upon gish's ear as the rope was hurriedly affixed a moment afterwards the body of gisli was swinging in mid-air no need now to linger in the neighborhood of the gallows far and near could the poor boy be seen looking so small as it hung on high swayed in gentle motion by the winds of heaven yet as the king returned hastily to his castle it was noticed that his countenance was black as midnight while the faces of the icelanders were almost joyful they knew and the king knew the significance that attached to the hanging of gisli in the royal cloak for the minds of those rough norsemen the boy's execution had been robbed of all its ignominy by the fact that he had suffered death in a robe that had once been property and probably worn by magnus himself in spite of the king's implacable anger the lad's end could be spoken of for all time as an honorable one so sad at heart as they were the icelanders slowly turned their back upon the gibbet and returned to their quarters greatly relieved in mind and invoking the blessing of heaven upon the kindly head of father john of holar father john himself had not yet done with the gallows or with the body hung thereon waiting until all was quiet and the great plain was cleared of spectators the priest returned to the gibbet praying to god with great fever he reared the ladder which had been flung upon the ground and mounted it hastily
His task was a difficult one, and he did not cease to implore the help of heaven. Had he succeeded, or had he failed? Had the hangman unwittingly assisted him by a too hasty adjustment of the rope, or unwittingly out of compassion for the boy himself? The rope was cut. Gently did the priest bear the body to the earth. With trembling, eager fingers he undid the noose. Dio gratias, sang the good man as he unwrapped the mantle and severed the thongs that bound the lad's hands. To some purpose he had carefully disposed that hood about the child's throat. It seemed certain that the neck was still unbroken. Yet Gisli lay stretched upon the green grass, insensible and apparently lifeless. O oh God, cried the priest, give back to us the soul of this poor child, and I promise that he shall not depart from thy house for ever. A moment later, great joy filled the soul of Father John. The eyes of Gisli suddenly opened, and he took a long, deep breath. Then he looked at the holy man and said with a smile, Why did you wake me, Father? Because, my dearest son, it is time for us to go down to the sea, said the priest, breaking the iron rings upon the lad's feet. Even now our countrymen are abroad. I am going to give you back to God and to your fatherland. End of section 5. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.